Your attitude starts with the hope that is in Christ. When you have hope, then you can weather any storm because you know, like our singer saying, you know the God of the wind. You know the master of the wind is controlling it. Even when the ship is rocking a bit and the waves are turbulent, you know that there's a God in control of the wind who's controlling all things. So here's my heart today. If we can get our hope right and we can refocus on this again, then our attitude will always be fixed. Today's message is suffering that releases flavor. Suffering that releases flavor. Romans 5, chapter 1 says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We rejoice in tribulations. That's the part I want to focus on today. As we talk about maintaining an attitude of hope, there's three things that we can know about whatever situation or struggle you're going through. And if you're not going through a situation or struggle now, you will. I used to ride a motorcycle. They always said there's two types of motorcyclists. The ones who've laid the bike down and the ones who will lay the bike down. And for three years, I was the one who will lay the bike down. And then on one cold December evening, I came around a turn too fast about 12 o'clock and laid the bike down. So if you're not going through a struggle now, you will. And the key is to prepare yourself so when you get through the struggle, your hope and your attitude is set. Here's the first thing I want you to take note of in your outline this morning is that no matter what you're going through, God will turn your test into a testimony. God will turn your test into a testimony. As the scripture we've read said, it says more than that, we rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I have observed a mindset in Western Christianity. You say, what is Western Christianity? Well, if you look at Jerusalem and everything west would be us. That's Western Christianity. Everything east would be Eastern Christianity. So there's a mind frame in the Western Christianity that if you go through a struggle, it is because God is upset with you. Some of you think, I'm going up with a struggle right now. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong to cause God to befall this temptation and trial and struggle on me? What did I do wrong? First off, I want to dismantle that mentality for a few reasons. The first is that if you are a Christian, you are by definition under grace. And you will understand that grace means unmerited favor. Grace, to begin with, means it's something you don't deserve. So if you are a Christian, God has called you by His grace. He's kept you in His grace. You didn't earn it to begin with, and you won't unearn it. It's not because you don't live in God's favor based upon your performance. You live in God's favor based on the finished work of Christ. So here's the deal. If there is a struggle going on, it's not because God is angry. Or God is wrathful. 
It is because there's a testimony in your test. You see, what Christ secured on the cross was God's favor. And because it is based on his finished work, it's not based on your incomplete work. You will always mess up. You will always fail. That does not determine whether or not God shows his benevolence to you. Because God has already shown his benevolence through the riches of Christ. And you didn't earn it. This is why I'm not a big fan of the traditional celebration of Christmas. The traditional explanation of St. Nick is that if a kid is good, they will get presents. What that teaches a kid to associate with Christmas is that they earn gifts. If I'm good, I'll get gifts from a Christian character on one of the holiest holidays of the year. So they start associating their giftedness with earning. Here's the problem. If a gift is earned, it's no longer a gift, but a payment. What we have established through the tradition of Christmas is not grace, but payment. I never read that St. Nicholas from Myra ever gave because someone earned it. And I've never seen that God gave salvation to anyone who earned it either. Favor means you didn't earn it. You know what? When it comes Christmas time, tell your kid, we we celebrate gifts not because you deserve it, but because Christ gives it to us anyway. We give gifts to our family members that we don't necessarily like, not because they earned it, but because we are part of showing the pattern of unmerited favor through grace. That person that you're not a big fan of at work, go buy him something next week. Proverbs says the man who gives gifts has many friends. I want you to buy them something. Go buy them a necktie. If they're a man, you can't go wrong with a necktie. If they're a woman, perfume or chocolate. It's really easy. Give them a gift that they didn't deserve and watch what happens in their life. People respond to unmerited favor. You see, if God's purpose for you as a Christian was to be happy all the time, then your life would probably be all roses and puppy dogs. But we have established many times that God's intention in your life is not for happiness, but for holiness. You will say, well, pastor, if you have described today that God's favor is on me, why is there so many problems in my life? Why are there so many problems if I'm under God's favor? Proverbs 3.12 gives us the answer. It says, the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. So understand this. If you are going through a struggle, it's because God is trying to teach you something because he loves you. We have some kind of belief that discipline is a negative word or negative action. Discipline is not a reactionary consequence. It's a proactive method of teaching. God's correction in your life is part of God's direction in your life. If you are a Christian, God will place you in periods where you have to understand his correction so you can learn about who he is and what he wants for you. But here's the good news, that God's correction is part of his direction. It's not something that Satan throws against you to mess with you. It's something that God is allowing to better you. 
Always remember this. If God is silent in your struggle, remember that the teacher is silent during a test. Some of you say, where's God been the last three years? He's been watching. Seeing how you respond. Seeing how you move. Seeing how you're obedient to his word. We're always waiting for something new. But God says, I've already shown you what you need to know. Maybe you just need to read all of it and then start living it and start applying it. And we say, where has God been? And how many days have we got up without immersing ourselves in his instructions? And then our life falls apart. And we say, where has God been? He was with you all along, but we didn't open our eyes. No longer... Is there complaining in suffering when we see that our tests become a testimony? No matter of fact, now there is praise in suffering. Why would God want you to praise during your suffering? It's because other people are able to see your attitude and other people are able to see your hope. So when you're going through that particular struggle and you still maintain hope in God, then lost people see, man, they are not moved by every wind and every wave. They are fixated. What are they fixated on? The solid rock of Christ who never changes. You see, that's the difference between the saved and the sinner is the saved has hope in all things. But the sinner has hope in no thing. But the problem is so many of the saved look like sinners during suffering. Because they think God is not blessing them. If you think suffering is a lack of God's blessing. Then you will be blinded to what God is trying to do in you and through you during suffering. Two years ago I had to go to the hospital for emergency surgery. They split me wide open down the middle. It kind of helped my six-pack a little bit. Gave that middle curvature there. But they had to remove two tumors. They were five pounds from my intestines. One was the size of a Nerf uh, football. One was the size of a softball. And I laid in there many, many nights thinking, God, what did I do to deserve this? Why did you cause this to me? And 11 days later, my wife heard a song on the radio called Blessings by Laura Story. And that song says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through pain? And you see, the whole time I thought that God was angry with me. But what I realized what God was teaching me to rely on him. And that nothing, neither material, nor physical, nor earthly, could satisfy like the Spirit of God could satisfy. So even in a hospital room, for 11 days with no water and no food, with my guts of being torn open, I can be satisfied in God. That's what he taught me. I realized it was a moment of blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us, Give thanks In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. See, you don't give thanks for circumstances. You give thanks in circumstances. Past two days, Bella has been battling a stomach virus. And uh, two nights ago, uh, a matter of two days ago, she said, uh, said, Bella, are you feeling any better? She says, Daddy, if you'll give me some peace and quiet, I'll probably feel better. (laughs) So that day, on Friday, I tried to give her some peace and quiet. So, you know, whenever our children are sick or we are sick or we going through a struggle, I don't thank God. Hey, I don't thank God that she's sick. But say, God, I thank you in all circumstances that 
maybe this is just for me and her to connect a little better over the next 24 hours. We give thanks in all circumstances. Secondly, in your notes, in your outline, I want you to know this. Based on the hope in the glory of God through our suffering, that God will turn your mess into a message. God will turn your mess into a message. Romans 1.4 tells us, In endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Many of you probably have one of your favorite stories in the Bible as the record of Job. And if you are familiar with the record of Job, you will remember that God really blessed Job in the beginning. Or did he? You see, Job chapter 1 tells us that, that Job owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And that he had a large number of servants. Here's the deal. If it could tell you 7,000 sheep, but couldn't number the number of servants, that means he had a lot of servants. I mean, they took the time to count the sheep, and I'm pretty sure he knew how many servants he had, so I would estimate that if he had this many cattle going on, he had at least the number of servants required to take care of all that properly. But the Scripture says that Satan came and presented himself before the Lord. And Satan is eventually asking permission to cause suffering in the life of Job. Satan has to ask permission to cause suffering in the life of Job. But what is interesting is that it is God who first suggests Job. Satan comes to him after he's roaming to and from, and God says, have you considered Job? It was God's initial idea that Satan messed with Job. This was what I want you to see in the story of Job. I want you to see God's sovereignty in all things. That God gave him the idea to try to mess with him. But here's why. What the devil didn't know is that God was going to use all that suffering for God's own glory. That the devil was so ignorant enough to think that he could mess with Job and actually cause some sort of problem in God's system. And he's trying to mess with everybody. And God says, look, have you thought about Job? You want to mess with somebody? Mess with Job. See how it works out for you. You see, ever since the beginning, the devil has been trying to take glory away from God. And over and over in the Bible, we see the devil is trying to figure out ways to take glory by messing with God's servants. You see, the next time you go through a trial, I don't want your response to be, Oh man, the devil's been hitting me hard this week. Let me tell you something. If the devil's hitting you hard, God's going to hit him harder. You are not the little kid at school who stands there as a bully comes by and knocks you down. And you're looking around like no one is in your corner. Robert, will you put your gloves on? Where's uh, I need a, a young person to be my helper today. Is Savannah still in here? Savannah, will you come help me? I'm going to play the part of the bully the devil. Savannah's going to play the part of the Christian. And Robert's going to play the part of Father God. So a lot of us think, Savannah, you stand here. Pretend, look at me. A lot of us think that we're in the battle. And God is off in the heavenlies watching over us and will, in some cases, come in with his divine hand. And so we think that we're here helpless and that 
God always gets the glory. So, we can know that there is praise in suffering. We can also know there is purpose in your suffering. This is why we hope in the glory of God. Because we know that there is nothing the devil can do which will take away that glory from the Father. God's purpose in the suffering of Job was to teach him more about God than he had ever known. His purpose in Job's suffering was to make Job more righteous man than he was before. And God's purpose of Job's suffering was actually to bless him more than he had before. So he could show the devil who's boss. Oh, you want to mess with somebody? You mess with him. See how it works out for you. And God ends up giving him more. What does God keep showing the devil? Every time you try to take away my glory, it does not work. This is why one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 8.28. That we know that for those who love God, all things work according for, uh, together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what has happened in your life, God will use it for good. And lastly, God will turn your vice into a victory. God will turn your vice into a victory. Romans 1, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 5 told us, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, sometimes our struggles are not simply due only to God's design, but also due to our own design. Matter of fact, most of the times, our struggles are the fault of our own. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble because, to be quite honest, we're a little stupid. When we think about the struggle of Jonah, we understand that Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish because he was disobedient to God's command. But it also teaches us that even in God's firm hand of discipline, there is provision. God disciplined Job by providing a fish. God disciplined Job by providing even possibly one of the nastiest places you can imagine to habitate for three days. God provided that in his correction to teach Jonah something. I think I said Job, but I mean Jonah. God could have crushed Jonah with a meteor, but instead he prepared a fish to swallow him. Now, I've heard some Christian researchers say that this fish could have been air-breathing like a whale, and that Jonah possibly could have ended up in the fish's sinus cavity where air was stored. Now, I don't know what's more repulsive, being in a fish's intestines or being in a fish's sinus cavity. But here's what I believe. I believe the scripture says that he was in the belly. And here's what Jonah learned after three days, after a three-day slumber party in the fish's belly. God's plan will be accomplished. If God wants somebody to go preach in Nineveh, either you go preach in Nineveh or a fish will swallow you. Do you think Jonah ever again disobeyed the Lord's instructions? Well, if it's now a fish that swallows me, next time it might be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
he knew God will accomplish his plan. And even in his own disobedience, it was not enough to halt God's plan. The suffering of Jonah caused him to learn more about God and his providence and his mercy and his jealousy of his glory than ever before. Even in Jonah's disobedience, he learned about God. Maybe we've been disobedient in a certain area of our life. Maybe we've had a particular struggle or an addiction that we've had to overcome. Here's what we can know. Even in our disobedience, God reveals himself to us. So the last thing in our suffering, there is praise in our suffering. There is purpose in our suffering. And there is power in your suffering. Because if God is going to release his holiness through you, then there has to be heat that is applied. There has to be some sort of diffusion that takes place. There has to be a removal from the safe and comfort place of complacency. And you sometimes have to be dropped in the lion's den in order to see a faithful God. Because unless you are steeped in the water of suffering, you will never release the aroma of Christ and the flavor of His holiness. The power in your suffering is that God is making himself known in you and through you. And when you realize that, your attitude will change its altitude. Because you see, God's glory will never be tarnished. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says, We are hard pressed on every side. We are crushed but not destroyed. But not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. You see, church, you and I can hope in the glory of God because we can know that God will use all our suffering for His glory. And can I tell you, just a preview, things in the world will only get worse. Things in the economy will only get worse. Things among the Muslim radicals will only get worse. Things among disease will only get worse. Things among uh, uh, the world affairs and wars will only get worse. But Christian, do not be dismayed because we know the master of the wind. Your attitude will determine your altitude when we hope in the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our prayer today is that every single person who's under the sound of your word will be transformed by your Holy Spirit and by the power of your sovereignty. God, from the beginning of the world to the time of Job to the time of Jesus Christ to right now in 2013 in Concord, North Carolina, through the suffering of your saints, you always prove worthy and you always prove faithful and the devil has never been able to steal your glory. So God, my prayer today is that if there's someone that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, That they would be obedient like Jonah who was commanded to go to Nineveh. That they would be obedient in saying, Christ, I'm ready to receive you today. I'm ready to live for your, your glory. To know that it's not an easy Christian life. It's a rough Christian life, but it's worth it because you are worth it. God, I pray for any 
person that's ready to trust in Christ today that they will respond during the invitation, walk forward and say, Pastor, I'm ready to become a Christian. Secondly, I'm praying for anyone that is looking for a church home. God that has been tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves that this world throws at them. But God, through your sovereignty, you have provided a holy family for people to join called the church. If there's anyone ready to join what you're doing here, I pray they would come and say, Pastor, we're ready to join the vision and the ministry of Friendship SBC. Lord, would you have glory and honor in all things today? You are beautiful and worthy. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.